Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. I would say it's good to see you. That's what I say, but I don't see you. But here's what I love. I really enjoy this new way of gathering. I love seeing your names. I have your the participant list up on, on Zoom, and then I'm, I'm watching on Facebook. And I'd love to see that Jesse Freward, Freward is watching, and Paul Trinko, hello, is watching, and all sorts of old friends, new friends, people who are family here at Bruce City Church. I love seeing those names. It's actually doing something to me. It actually makes me feel like we're together. So continue to use that chat, chat and comment space to just connect with one another and make it feel like we actually are connecting with one another scattered around the city. This brings me joy. You know, what's interesting is I've been doing this. This is my 13th year. I guess you would say this is my 14th year since I, me and some friends and family planted Bruce City Church. And this is the first ever out of 13 years this is the first ever Memorial Day, sir, Memorial Day Sunday that I've been present at Bruce City Church. First ever time being part of church on, on Memorial Day weekend Sunday because I'm always gone on Memorial Day weekend. This is the weekend, one weekend every year. Well, that's the, not the one weekend every year, but it's one of the main weekends every year. All of you guys get to make fun of me because I go to the Indy 500 along with my redneck brethren and I just do the thing. I do the thing every single year and me and my dad. And it's a beautiful time. It's amazing. And I've been kind of mourning that loss this year. It's been postponed. Probably won't happen. We'll, who, who knows what will happen. But it's been something that holds, holds space for me. And it, it's been something that is part of my story. It's this anchoring point. I was reflecting on Friday evening as I was getting to go fam food for the family, what I would have been doing in Indianapolis at that moment. And have you had a moment, or you've probably had several moments if you're like me, where time just doesn't feel real right now? Have you had that moment? Have you had the moment where I've had these moments where I feel like we're just about to June, but it feels like we still could be in April. Time seems so relative right now. It's incredible. We don't know what day it is half the time because our normal stuff still isn't happening. And it just struck me as I was sitting in a drive-thru on Friday evening how those things that mark time for us aren't there right now. Those things that help us hold space and those things that are anchoring points for us have evaporated, it feels like. And it just reminded me of God's words through Kohelet of how the stuff is like vapor, it's heaven. And what it's reminding me of is what that song was speaking to is my anchor isn't the Indy 500 weekend on Memorial Day weekend. My anchor isn't all these fun things that I love to do. And my anchor isn't even the people that I love to see. My anchor isn't Bruce City Church. My anchor isn't Sunday gatherings and hugging and seeing all of you as much as I love it. My anchor isn't worship and worshiping all together. My anchor isn't anything but Jesus and Jesus alone. Being forced into this recognition and in opening of my soul that God just like the psalmist said you who else do I have in heaven and on earth what else do I have in heaven and on earth that will not pass through my fingers that it is not heaven. that is that 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 will not go away eventually 
that's actually encouraging to me. That actually fills me up. That I do have something and someone that will not ever disappoint. Some of these songs that seem trite and cheesy to me, if I can be honest with you, you're never going to let me down. Come on. That actually, in moments like this, something that I can hold to. All sorts of things and people will disappoint me and let me down. Jesus, Father, Spirit, who's with me, anywhere I go, no matter how far and distant it feels, life of the Spirit is in and with me. All these worship songs are coming to life in real time. I'll take it. I'll take those lessons. I'll sit here with open hands at multiple points during my day and say, I receive your life, Jesus. I receive your life, Father. I receive your life, Spirit, in the midst of uncertainty. We've been in the book of Ecclesiastes since the first Sunday in February, and we're winding down, we're coming to an end, but one of the things that we've wanted to do is have a morning where we can have some panelists talking about these real-life experiences of what Kohelet, Kohelet has been bringing all sorts of questions. Kohelet is the teacher in Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is this book of where, where deconstruction is just happening. Kohelet is asking these questions that most of us in the church are not willing to ask. Most of us in the church don't feel like we've been given permission, whether it's by God or by church leaders, to ask really hard questions. But what we find is in our sacred text, in the Bible itself, we have this book of the Bible that seems scandalous, that we are disrupted by because of the difficult questions that the, this book of the Bible is bringing up. As a matter of fact, for centuries, rabbis and teachers and leaders in the church have debated whether or not this book should be included into the canon, whether it be in the Old Testament canon for, for the Jewish scriptures or in the, in, in, in the Christian canon. It's Christian scriptures. It's a risky book. But I think it gives us permission to ask those questions that feel risky. It gives us permission to, to step out in faith when you feel like you might be in the middle of a faith crisis. It gives us permission to ask those hard questions when we're longing, full of longing and, and disappointment, and when we feel like suffering is happening and suffering to good people. Why is it happening? It's given us permission to go to those places, and some of us have probably deeply resonated. Some of us are probably looking forward to a New Testament book that's a little bit more hopeful. Don't worry, it's coming. But we're going to finish this well. We're going to finish this Ecclesiastes series well. And so this morning, what we get the fun opportunity to do is to hear from a couple of my greatest friends. And these are the fun thing is that these are elders at Bruce City Church. We're going to be able to hear from Randy and Shelley Schmore this morning and then Abby Troyanic again. But what we find is that our elders, lead, people who lead our church, have just lived rich, deep but also painful lives. I love that I get to lead alongside people, lean on people, and lead with people, serve with people who haven't just coasted through life in a perfect way, that they have this story that, that everything's been good and, and praise God, God is good, that they actually have 
have limp in the way they walk in their journey they've been hit a few times and they walk with a limp now and they're even more dependent on the holy spirit that makes me feel more confident to lead with them and that these are these are people who can lead hurting people through those valleys of life i hope you feel that i hope you feel that goodness and and trust in the leadership here at bruce city church but i'm going to ask my friend randy schmore randy has been in ministry for probably almost yeah, he's not that old. I was going to say almost as long as I've been alive, but I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting up there in years. So um, Randy, though, has been in ministry, and what Randy has uniquely done, we've called this series Ancient Deconstruction. And deconstruction is something that we find that's quite common in our world, especially among younger evangelicals or, or younger post-evangelicals, where we just have to ask those questions, where we have to ask those questions of, God, where are you and what are you doing? The stuff that I've believed and stood on my whole life feels like I'm standing on shaky ground right now. Randy lived that. As a matter of fact, Randy Schmore walked through a season of deconstruction, which she just accidentally stumbled upon while he was in ministry. Imagine that. Many of us have had faith crises or had seasons of deconstruction. Maybe we're in one right now. Imagine having to teach and lead in a church environment while you're having that process just thrust upon you. Imagine that. So Randy Schmore, let's welcome Randy Schmore. Give some shout outs on the chat or in comments. Randy, good to see you, my friend. Good morning. Good morning. Share with us that, that, that time that I was describing. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have the chance to share a little bit of my story with you here this morning. Um, I'm going to try to keep it <laughs> within the time parameters we got. But yeah, I really kind of launched at this opportunity when I heard that I could share just a bit about what this was. And Randy hit it right on. I went through what I really started to see as a deconstructive time um, full on into ministry. I was already, by the time I was identifying it as deconstruction, I had been in paid full-time ministry for almost 15 years at that point, somewhere around 12 or 13 years. And there was a lot of things that factored into what that looked like when I identified it as a de deconstructive time. But what I actually realized is that my whole ministry career up to that point I was deconstructing even a, f a few years before I was in ministry. So I went, I was a youth pastor and I was a volunteer youth worker first and then ended up uh, going into full-time ministry as a youth pastor and still have it in my heart for kids and high schoolers and all of that. That's, that's still part of who I am in a lot of respects. And I just all, I found myself having a lot of discontent with a lot of things I was really wrapped up in the music scene, especially in my 20s in that, and playing in a band, Christian band, even as a youth leader and, and that sort of thing. And, and I, it got me into a lot of trouble with my church a lot of times, but I kept pushing the envelope all, all the time, just saying, this is relevant, this is good, this is what we ought to be doing. And so it wasn't you know, a ton of what I would look at now as, you know, really important things to anchor myself on, but I had this discontent going on. But it was when I went off to a seminary, when Shelly and I moved to South Dakota and uh, 
decided to go and get my full on education and all that in the time that I was there, that all of a sudden there was some other things that started to be thrust upon me. One of them was the idea of women being in ministry, being an issue in the church. I had no clue <laughs> until that point that this was something I ought to be concerned about. And so all of a sudden that became a part of, you know, why is church so messed up in this way? And that became part of what I started to unravel in my faith. Um, and then also I had one class in particular in seminary. Uh, it was an Old Testament class I was taking. And this idea of this concept called historic millennialism was introduced there. And something about it, it essentially just had to do with how you view the end times and what that was about. But it was very different than anything I'd thought of before. It was really holistic, taking the whole Bible into account taking even glimpses of this idea of what the kingdom is about and the kingdom of God having to do not only with the end of times, but now. And it really struck a chord with me, but I didn't know what to do with it. It struck such a chord with me that less than a year after I graduated, uh, when I got ordained in the Baptist church, I ended up um, putting it in my ordination council papers and so I was asked about it at my council, and I was kind of buh, 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 fumbling over my words because I didn't exactly know how to describe what I was even putting in there, but I knew it was right, and I knew it was true. So those were just some glimpses, but one other major thread that helped with deconstructing was this idea of uh, worldwide missions or international missions, and I found myself as a youth pastor getting involved especially in the country of Mexico and taking our students there and feeling this call to do what I'm doing now, as many of you know, in uh, international mission work. But doing that, I started to see the brand of Christianity that I had been handed just as growing up in this country and going to the kind of church I did was very small and just a speck, it seemed to me, of the bigger thing that God was doing. Well, as I started to come into uh, actually my early 40s. It was just after I turned 40 years old or so. Um, I started to read some books. One of them was introduced to me by a guy named Brandon Brown. Some of you might know that guy, <laughs> might know who he is. And we were on staff together, kind of, um, here at a church in Brookfield. And we read this book by Steve Brown called A Scandalous Freedom. Things started to move in that direction. And around the same time, my lovely wife here, Shelly, she started reading some things, books by, uh, by Michael Frost, by Alan Hirsch, other things like A New Kind of Christian by Brian McLaren, um, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. All these things started flooding into my mind. We were discussing them. And when I started realizing, I'm deconstructing my faith here, I'm been discontented with church, and there was a few issues. It reared itself in music, or it might have reared itself in women in ministry, and then this idea of what is the end of all things about. But all of a sudden, I started to see the way I understood the gospel was really small, and I needed a much bigger understanding of what it was. And it ended up changing my life. It ended up changing the way I viewed everything in my life. But 
it was only then that I started to realize that I had been deconstructing. And so I think that's something I want to pass on to you here this morning to understand is discontent and feeling like something's not right with the way I'm understanding faith is God at work in you. He's doing that for a reason. Discontent, like the stuff that Ecclesiastes is made of, is one of the holiest things you could be about. <laughs> that's exactly where God is going to do that kind of work. And that's what he was doing in me. So I kind of view it with a little, you know, tilt in my head when I hear somebody, yeah, I decided to recon deconstruct my faith. I decided to do that. I don't think you decide to do that. You're compelled to do it because you can't do anything else. <laughs> you know something that is not right with what you've been handed, and you need to do something about it. And so for me, all these different threads from missions to women in ministry to music to understanding better the end times started to culminate and started to help me understand that I needed to grow and I need to understand that Jesus is about a kingdom gospel that is all inclusive of everything he wants to do in restoring and reconciling all things in the universe, not just my heart not just getting my butt into heaven, as it were. That's the only way I understood it before. Um, I think back, and I'll end with this, being a youth pastor, as, as Randy was saying before, and I found myself teaching on the book of Revelation. And I was teaching stuff that I didn't believe. I was using this handbook and trying to go through things and understand, and I'm like, I don't believe anything I'm telling these guys here. And somewhere towards the end of it, I started just throwing my hands up and saying, you know what, guys, I'm not sure I know or believe anything I just told you guys. I was totally deconstructing in the midst of doing that. But as I continue on, and as a few years later, I would start to understand, you know, God has always been doing something in me, even as I was trying to teach Revelation to my students. I started to see he was doing a beautiful thing, which has continued to grow ever since. And I love the phrase of lifelong learner because I think, you know, I'm not one that is like continuing to learn things and then I throw everything off to the side. Our story, like Ian said earlier, is wrapped up in God's story. That means all parts of our story are meaningful in it. Even the parts that aren't complete yet, that need work on, they're all meaningful. So that's how I'd share uh, what my deconstructive thing, uh, <laughs> that's a great name for it, isn't it, uh, look like um, and, and how I move forward. So it's so good, Randy. Thank you for sharing. Um, sure. So interesting to me how you talk about disruption um, and I I definitely resonate with you deeply when you say um, deconstruction isn't ideally it's not something that we just kind of choose because it's kind of cool and hip and trendy right that's not really authentic but it's something that happens to you and it's this holy disruption and that's where I see the role of the spirit so much is this kind of holy agitator right sometimes yeah. you've got these gnawing questions that feel like they have to come out and many times that's actually the holy spirit knocking on the door saying there's more here there's more for you. There's more in your perspective, right? So 
when um, uh, let me ask two questions quickly. Um, when that started to happen, when you started to have that discontent, women in leadership or women in, in the church, I'm seeing some sexism and misogyny. Maybe you're not seeing a whole lot of space for women. That's creating dis disruption. Or when you when you're uh, confronted by es eschatology and end times like weirdness, right? And disrupted by that, but you grew up in that world. That was where your family had um, kind of raised you up in. And that was your job, your vocation, everything around you believed and stood on that world. And when that started to kind of crumble or get shaky, how did that feel for you, Randy? Well, it, it always felt like I was somehow um, being like an agitator or something, you know, like, you know, why can't I be on board with what's happening here? And there's just something not right about it. But, you know, when, you're, when your salary, when your ways of making a living start to become entwined and some very real things of how am I going to live my life? How am I going to live what I'm called to and then still believe this? It becomes pretty real <laughs> in your heart and life. And you know, I find us as a young family, we're moving 500 miles away from home to go to school, and then another 1,500 miles as we moved out to Tacoma, Washington, and, and did ministry out there, and saying, you know, I'm investing our entire future in this, and, and I'm not believing it anymore. Um, it's really tough. And so eventually, we had to stand on some uh, things that we felt were wrong and, and needed to get out of different places of ministry. And so we, that's why we did move to different places and do that. And eventually even left youth ministry um, in, in general and, and gave ourselves to this idea of uh, international missions and, and doing that sort of thing and being involved in a lot of different churches. Fortunately, a lot of the people I ended up uh, being involved with over time, not everyone, but key persons in my life started to think the same way. Maybe I influenced a few of them, but you start to find each other, you know, people that are going through this thing as well. And I started to find people that are doing that. And I'm really glad to say that today, even the Baptist group I work for, um, many of them, the leaders, I would say, especially get it and have gotten it for a while alongside of me. Some of them, I even influenced myself, <laughs> I would say, but they, they've gotten it and it's gotten um, easier to find that camaraderie. But when you're the only one in those places, it can be really tough. It can be scary. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for being faithful, Randy. Um, it's a beautiful testimony. And, um, I will say this, when we talk about deconstruction, um, some, many people like Randy have a moment they can look back to that like began there. I didn't even know it then, but it began there and it went on this, sounds like almost a decade long journey. Um, my faith personally is much, much in my picture of God and my, my, my view of the scriptures, all that stuff is much, much different than it was 10 years ago, much, much different than it was 20 years ago, much, much different than it was 30 years ago. And I've never had an actual period of deconstruction where I could look to and say, wow, that, you know, I was completely deconstructing there. And that was a pivot point in my journey. And the main reason for that, and I'm just saying this because maybe many of you identify with me. 
I was discipled really well as a young adult by this guy named Joe Stanky that you guys know and others, but to hold my faith with open hands and to hold my, my theology, my view of God with open hands, because there's this person called the Holy Spirit who loves to grow us and, and bring us into understanding and, and bring us into to, to new, new understanding of who God is. And because I, I'm convinced that I, as a finite human being, who is just this tiny speck on the line of time and eternity, I'll never even get close to understanding who God is. If God is as big and as beautiful and as all in all, like Paul says, I'm just realizing more and more, I'll never understand God fully. So I'm on this constant nonstop journey of coming into understanding and revelation of who God is. And I've just come to expect the unexpected. I've come to expect that new understanding and new, new, lights going off and also new times when I think how could I ever think I could wrap my hands around you so I've been on this journey where I just expect dynamic uh realities coming to me and 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 I'm comfortable with it I can hold it some of you might be in that place as well I want to make space for another another uh story basically and it's standing right sitting right beside Randy Shelley Schmore went through a painful, painful thing that we find throughout scriptures. Throughout scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, there's this narrative about um, uh, barren wombs, about women not being able to conceive a child. And in the ancient world, that meant that you, all of your worth basically was bearing children and, and continuing a family line. And if you couldn't bear a child, you were seen as worthless. You can look all throughout the scriptures of Hannah and and. Ruth and Naomi, all these, all these women who have this, this consistent, Sarah, I mean, all these women who have this consistent story of being unable to bear children and God does something beautiful and unexpected and miraculous. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes the miracle doesn't happen and pain is involved in that story. And many of you ladies know what that feels like and it's hard for us men. So I want, I wanted Shelly Schmore to share her journey through that, that, awful searing pain of not being able to to conceive a child so Shelly Schmore let's welcome Shelly good to see you Shell Shelly can you share about that that journey for you in trying to have a family yeah um so it's not just in scripture that that's been <laughs> kind of a, a thing of shame um it's also within the evangelical world there are some expectations that were taught to the evangelical world that I grew up in um, that honestly, I had to deconstruct. And so even as Randy was sharing his story of deconstruction, it's our story. We were in that together. And so this part is also our story. Um, and in the midst of it, I was deconstructing some stuff. I was deconstructing some lies that had been spoken over me. Um, and it's, I have to give you just a little bit of background um, so it makes sense. Um, but I have abuse in my background, sexual abuse in my background. And when I shared that in my evangelical world, my evangelical youth group, um, I was told things like, well, God can forgive you if you admit what you did to deserve that. Um, those were kinds of statements that were spoken over me. And that also the fact that there's gonna be consequences in your life because of this. And there's gonna be things, and I'm thinking to myself in the midst of all of it going, wait a minute, I didn't do it. <laughs> it, was, it was something that was a violation to me. And so even there, I had to begin um, 
when we were at seminary and we were going through this faith deconstruction, I had to begin to unpack some of that stuff and realize I didn't, I walked in the, in the, what I thought was truth spoken over me that somehow I had done something <laughs> that deserved this. Somehow I had invited it. And because of that, God needed to punish it. That was a, a narrative that was part of my DNA and it wasn't truth. And I'm not saying that all of my young church upbringing was bad. It was foundational. I learned a lot about God in that process too, but I also had to unpack some of the untruths that I, that I learned. And one of them was that punishment was inevitable. So when we're at seminary and we're deconstructing our faith and we're thinking, well, the thing to do um, for women, because I grew up in a tradition that to be in ministry meant being married to a, to a husband who was in ministry, that that was my call. And that even was just a wrestling within me. At 17 years old, I'm feeling like God's speaking to me and telling me that I'm going to have this role of walking with people and shepherding people. But then my church life is telling me, well, you better find a pastor for a husband then because that's the only space for you. And maybe you'll get to teach, if you're really good, you'll get to do children's ministry and women's ministry, if you're really good. But I, again, I was living in this narrative that I was being punished. And so unpacking that was hard. And then when we decided to start a family, because that's what you do, right? You get married, you um, become a pastor's wife, and then to serve them well, you have children. <laughs> and this is, again, this narrative that I had to relearn. And when that didn't happen, all I could think is like, oh, this is it. This is the punishment that everybody told me about. This is the place where I, I don't get to thrive <laughs> um, because of my past. Um, and so as we're trying to conceive, as we're at seminary and we're deconstructing and learning these things, month after month <laughs> after month would come and I would not be pregnant and not be pregnant and another negative um, pregnancy test. And I just felt the weight of that in so many ways. So, so much heaviness, so much shame, so much blame that somehow I could have stopped what happened to me. And so Mother's Days were excruciating. <laughs> Hallmark commercials for cards were excruciating. Um, I don't know if you remember that Folgers commercial where like the young, the son would come home after being moving away to college like would crush me. I would find myself just in tears. And it just seemed like God was mocking me at every turn. Like, see, you know, I'm, I'm busy doing things for the people that deserve it. I don't have time for you was a lie that I would believe. Um, and so as I, as I walked in that, I realized that even more than my struggle with infertility, I had a struggle with God. <laughs> I was mad at God. I was angry. I was like, what, what is up with this? You say that if I ask forgiveness, you'll forgive me, but you don't forgive fully. What is that about? And I realized that um, he could handle <laughs> those questions. And I was told for a long, long time, like, you don't dare ask those kinds of questions. That's like, that's what gets you in trouble is that kind of attitude, that kind of, um, but I had, I had an issue with God, and it's not unlike Hannah. Hannah's in the in Scripture in the Old Testament. You'll find her story in First and Second Samuel, First Samuel especially. Um, you know, she's always kind of deemed as like the one who got infertility right. You know, like she did the right things and then was rewarded. Um, 
But I often think that we do Hannah a little bit of a disservice with that. Um, I think Hannah too had the perspective and the wrestling in her heart as her husband's other's, other wife was conceiving and having children. Um, I think Hannah struggled with feelings like, God, are you too busy like blessing them that you don't even see me anymore? Are you too busy blessing the people that get it? And just like Hannah, there was no voice in my life. It wasn't like a voice from heaven all of a sudden came. It wasn't like a thunderbolt that all, all of a sudden came. It wasn't like miraculously one month, my pregnancy test was positive, but all in the midst of it, God was doing something in my heart. And he was unpacking some things in my heart. And every time I called out to him and screamed at him, my faith was there. And I think people often think like, well, when you're calling out to God and you're angry with him and you're, you're striving for some kind of prayer. And for me, it was infertility. For you, it might be something different. Maybe you've been praying for healing and you feel like it's on deaf ears all the time. Or maybe there's some other thing, a, a child that you're praying for, or a friend or a mother or a father. Um, but for me, it was infertility and I was crying out to him. And it wasn't until years later that I really began to process and look back with hindsight. You know, hindsight is always 2020, right? That I was able to see that in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering that God allowed me to walk in with him, I was actually deepening my faith in being able to cry out to him in the midst of it. My faith was going deeper. It wasn't, my anger wasn't an indication that I lost my faith. It actually was an indication that I had it and that I could cling to it in the middle, middle of it. And so without even realizing it, somewhere along the line, um, God was writing a different story and something besides having a baby became more important to me than having a baby. And that was that my life would be glorifying him. And so honestly, when Randy and I, like after month after month, we were, we were just praying like, God, if this isn't for us, what is? And we really felt like our portion in that time was to love our students as our own, to make them our own children, to love them who came from homes that were broken and hurting. Um, we seem to have a lot of those in our youth group. Um, and so I saw in that time of my portion just being to love those students, to love them well. And God um, began to change my heart even in the midst of that going, walk close to me because that's the only way you're going to love anybody well. And so my, my shift began to be, God, how do I glorify you in this? Instead of, I have a recipe, God, and I want you to meet it, and I want you to meet it like this. Because my prayers were kind of like I had an end in mind. And when that end didn't happen the way I thought it was, at first it was my thoughts were, well, God's just forgotten me. He's, he's too busy blessing the rest of the world. And he began to shift that and go, no, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Cling to me. Walk with me. Um, and I didn't realize that I was doing that in the very ways that I was crying out to God. Um, and so he, he taught me to love my students well. <laughs> and I did that for a long time. And then on our 10th anniversary, um, God decided to answer a prayer of becoming a mom. And it was nothing like I thought it was going to look. Because even through that whole time, I would pray and I'd be like, God, I just know that one day, all of a sudden, I'm going to know I'm pregnant. I'm going to know that this is the way you're answering my prayer. 
And it's not how he answered it. Instead, he answered it in the form of adoption, of finding out about a baby who was born on Monday. We found out about him on Friday, and he was in our home the following Thursday. And God knit our forever family together that way. And it's honestly, I think sometimes God goes, I had to do it that way. So you would be sure to know it was all me. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You could never have orchestrated this. Um, and that was just a lesson that he had from my heart in it. And I just love the, the scripture from um, Hannah's prayers when she took Samuel to the, to the temple. And I don't know how that mom did that. <laughs> you know, prayed and prayed for this baby and said, I'll give him back to, the, to God and left him at a temple. And we don't know how old he was. He could have been this oldest six or seven, or he could have been as young as two or three. We don't really know. But one of the verses says, he will guard the feet of his faithful servants. And I believe that God guarded the feet of Hannah. I believe he guarded the feet of myself. And sometimes by guarding my feet, he was grabbing me by the ankles as I was about to go over a cliff. <laughs> and sometimes he was holding onto my shoelaces when I was dangling over that cliff, but he met me there. And it's the only way I can explain the torment really of infertility and just that longing that unfulfilled longing that went on and on the voices of blame people that maybe they meant well i don't know um to point me to better ways of walking with god i don't know what all their motive was and the things that they said to me but i know it hurt and i know it carried i carried blame and shame because of it um and then it's also the way that i can explain god's silence or what seemed as his silence in the ways that he was teaching me, in the ways that he taught Hannah, in the ways he taught me. And so that's just a, a snippet of my story. Um, I could share lots and lots of details, but we'd be here all day. Um, but God meets us in those places. And I don't know what your unfulfilled prayers are. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's something else that you're longing for. Um, but I'm grateful that in hindsight, I could look back and see God's hand with me and on me um, and walking with me through the suffering of it. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing that. So beautiful, so painful and beautiful and all of it. So, um, and I'm, I gotta tell you as an outside observer, as a friend of yours, I'm so glad that that journey happened because then I get to know one of the, possibly the most unique and hilarious and amazing people that I know who is Cameron Schmore, your boy. So um, I'm, I'm benefiting from that, that journey. Um, and I love too that it's part of his story. This is part of Cameron's theology that I've been teaching him throughout the years. And um, he knows it. He knows his story. He knows where he came from. He knows the pain that led up to it too. So it, it's a beautiful part of the story. Amen. And I know, I know right now, of interacting with you and holding you in my heart. Some of you ladies who are experiencing that month, that disappointment on a monthly basis right now. You know, maybe some of you are in tears or maybe there's, like Shelly said, some of you who just, it's not infertility, but it's just a deep disappointment and longing that you feel like it's been sitting on you and crushing you and weighing you down for months at a time and you're in tears right now. I want to tell you that we love you and we're with you. And the fun thing is, is that God is with you, even if it doesn't feel like he is. 
there's a story after story like Shelley's of being able to look back and say, God, I've, I've never, God was never more present to, with me than in those moments, even though I couldn't feel it. That's where David in the Psalms is acquainted with that. And he says, God is near the brokenhearted. As we finish up our time, hang with us. We've got just a little, little bit more. Um, Abby Trionic is somebody who shared about walking through death. It's something that Kohelet talks about a lot. And um, Abby just has a, 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 Abby, can you be real brief, um, briefer than you were planning on being? But just Abby has, has, has just been sitting with this little, little word that God's given her. So Abby Trionic, good to see you, friend. Can you share what God's kind of shared with you right now? Yeah, I just, I love, I think we've all touched on it a little bit this morning, but as I was praying about today and just my own story and hearing the schmores and other things that we've learned from Ecclesiastes, I keep, Ecclesiastes, I keep thinking about Romans 8, which is a great book, so go read it, but uh, a great chapter in Romans, but at the end of it, it says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as I've been thinking about that verse, I just keep thinking that the, the, the thread that holds all of this together is that it's not that in the midst of all these tragedies or hardships or the things that like in my own life, losing a spouse, it's not that I was holding on to God for dear life and his love. It was actually that he was embracing me. And in that place, we get to be completely human and feel all of the emotions, wrestle all of the questions, have all of the deconstruction and the anger and the emotions. And in that place, all of those questions, all of those emotions, all of this grief will that feel weight bearing on us will actually never separate us from his love because his embrace is so strong. His love for us is the thing that's eternal. It's the place in our heart that has its root. So when we say, you know, let the king of our heart <laughs> be the one that anchors us, it's not just because it sounds pretty. It's actually because it's his embrace of us, not that we're holding on for dear life, holding that, hoping that our questions aren't too bad that I'm going to let go of him. He goes, yeah, have the questions in the midst of my embrace, because those questions won't separate me from how much I love you. My, your grief, your hardship, your pain, your, your, even our not faith crisis of not even sharing if we believe in him does not separate his embrace of us, who he is has nothing to do with our thought of him and has everything to do with who he is. Oh. So, <laughs> so come on, preach. I just couldn't help but unmute. Dang. Anyway, so I just, I mean, people say to me all the time, how did you do all this? How did you do all this? And the reality is my foundation from a young child and up was so grounded in knowing how much God loves me that I, there's a freedom to wrestle in our humanity. He created our, our frailty. He knows it. He's, he's okay with our frailty. And so that's what I love about Ecclesiastes is that it doesn't, it's not, to me, it's not a hopeless book of like, oh yeah, it's all, it, it goes, 
we have permission to be human and allow the embrace of Christ to be the thing that holds us in that humanity. So I just wanted to share that as I've been thinking about my own life and my own heart is that sometimes we feel like we're holding on to him for dear life. But the reason is we can actually let go of that strive and know that he's actually so embracing us that it, there's nothing that can separate it. So good, Evie. Thank you so much. Man, um, we're going to end this time. We're going to have communion in one, one more song. So hang with us, friends. Um, but communion is this beautiful reminder, whether we're having a great time and an amazing dreams being fulfilled kind of season of life if we're there or if we're in that dark place of disappointment and longing and sorrow and heartbreak. Here's, here's why communion was given to us, so that we have this tangible reminder of Jesus' presence in its foundation. So we get these educational reminders. We get these theoretical reminders. We appeal to reason and in, in, in our minds so often in the church, or we, our music tries to, the worship music tries to turn our hearts into these ooey-gooey things that just melt us emotionally. But see, Jesus knew, God knows that we are a tangible people. We need to touch. We, I like tasting things. I like smells remind me of things. I'm smelling wood chips right outside the window here, and it reminds me of summer. God knew, God created us as a tactile, tangible kind of people who love to, to taste things and to consume things. And God said, here's a reminder for you. It's not just in your head. It's not just in your emotions. It's not just in your reason. It's not just in your smarts. I want you to do something like take in this bread that represents my body to know that I am living inside of you. Drink this cup to remind yourself that my blood has created a new covenant that will not be stopped by your momentary struggles. So Randy and Shelly, could you just lead us in, into, in taking the elements All right. As we remember what Jesus said at the table, that this is my body broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, there's always going to be brokenness in each one of us as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So embrace it. Brokenness is part of the disciple and being a disciple of Jesus. Amen. And then he did the same thing with the cup. And he said, take this cup, my blood shed for you in remembrance of me. And I pray this morning that it's a reminder to us that God meets us right in the midst of our suffering. We're not alone in it. He doesn't let go of us in it, but he is right there in it. And he says, remember that. So take the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we just, with this bread and this cup, your body and blood, would you nourish our souls like only you can? Would you fill our cup? You are a good shepherd. You're the best pastor. You're the truest lover. 
Your embrace is home. And so now, Father, Son, and Spirit, we just sing one more song to remind ourselves, our, our inner men and women, our souls, of who you are and who we are in you, who holds the world, who holds the, the universe, who holds the cosmos in his very breath, in his very life. We worship you now.